0: Good evening, good evening, everyone. All right, so I left my Bible my iPad someplace. If someone sees it, let me know. Otherwise, I'll preach from my phone. So, all right, we're going to sing. I forget that I, I, when, you know, when Jason and Christy aren't here, it's like everything falls apart. Brett's not here, so the recharge room is with us today. We're glad to have you. Welcome. We're going to sing How Firm a Foundation, and we're going to make sure that my microphone is not on so that uh, I don't blow you out of the water. All right, here we go. Uh, you know, the devil as a roaring lion goes about seeking whom he made ours. Interesting concept. Let's go on to the next song. Uh, okay, so this is one of our old um, hymns of the month. So hopefully you'll remember it as we sing it together. And if not, then it's going to be right up there so you can relearn it as we uh, sing it together. What <laughs> the letter g you put the letter g in front of your face because that's where god belongs always before us right and where is god he is up in heaven but through christ he comes to reside in my heart so that is the sign for god god is i have no idea why it's this way this is the letter i put on your chin is so good because this is representative of what's coming forth out of our mouth, and really representative of what's coming forth out of God's mouth, right? It's blessing, every good and perfect gift come from the Father. So God is so good, and he, don't make it hard, he's so good to, don't ask me why, it's, it's, what do they call those words? Not a preposition, what is it? not a conjunction. It's a preposition. It's a preposition? Okay. It is a preposition. Preposition to me. So there it is. God is so good to me. Let's try it thing? Here we go. Give us a chord because I don't know where we're starting. God. his and the name is two two open fingers like this because that's actually an end I'm going to put them together that's name all right I praise his name. I ongoing. So uh, sign language nowadays, we have a ASL, right? American Sign Language. And American Sign Language is different than what it used to be. How many of you used to uh, see sign language in your churches? I'm talking about like in the 70s. 70s church sign language is not the same as American Sign Language is today. And uh, so you kind of have to rethink it. But a lot of the reason is because American Sign Language doesn't accommodate a lot of the words we use in church that aren't there. But sign language at its core, this has nothing to do with the message, I don't know, I'm the one leading the singing, and I didn't lead the singing this morning, so I didn't talk about goddess of it. But uh, at its core, sign language is a way of drawing a picture so that the, the person who cannot hear the words can understand the meaning. So if you think about this, it's not that hard. So the sign for Jesus is Jesus. Somebody tell me why. You're you're pointing the, at the nail scars in his hands, right? Jesus. And so uh, the idea is it's drawing a picture. If you use the, this as the sun and this as the earth, then the sun coming across the earth, right? That's the idea. But if you put the letter D as the sun coming across the earth, that becomes day. If With the letter N coming across the earth, that would become night. If you had the sun coming up over the earth that would be called sunset or sunrise i mean and if you had the sun going down that would be called sunset right And it's just drawing a picture so see if you can figure this one out let's see uh this is not that hard but just watch it okay so crucify crucifixion right nail hammer nail hammer cross crucify so as you try to figure it out, you can, if you watch sign language, really honestly, if they'll be nice to you and slow down, because man, deaf people can talk 100 miles an hour just like you and I can, and uh, it's hard to keep up sometimes. But anyway, uh, it's a lot of fun. I used to, I used to back in the 70s, I used to do sign language interpretation. I don't think I could do that anymore because I'd never learned the ASL version, AS, yeah, ASL version, which is much better for the sign for the deaf person, but uh, you know. So what we tended to do in the 70s was to try to interpret every single word and we would try to keep up with every word that the pastor was saying. That's almost impossible. And sign language like cuts down a sentence to the three primary words and the rest of it, you just kind of fill in the understanding of it in ASL, which is absolutely fine if, once you pick it up, right? But if you're, and I've never been able to reverse interpret. In other words, when they talk to me, I'm lost. I can talk to them. They talk to me. It's one of those dangerous things. You start talking to somebody because you've recognized that they're deaf and you're trying to help them, and all of a sudden they're talking back, and you're like, I have no idea what you're saying because you're going way too fast, and we won't really speak the same language. But anyway, it's that way. All right, we're, we're going to be in 2 Peter today. Pastor, what's the sign for your <laughs> I don't know, but if you keep yelling at me, maybe I'll figure it out. All right, there. That, uh, does that help? Well, I was wanting to make sure it wasn't on while I was singing. I guess it worked, didn't it? Uh, so, um, all right. So last week, uh, Brother Dave took us through First Peter. This summer, I, I only have three of the Wednesdays. Uh, we, we try to intersperse the... This Wednesday concept is unique. Uh, we're one of the few churches that really does this. You know, you'll find out as you find, start asking around. But what we do is try to duplicate one service on Sunday, Wednesday morning and the same service on Wednesday night. And if you've ever tried to preach that way, that's a challenge. You know, it's not always easy to do. And I want the interns to all have that experience. So uh, the interns of the seven Wednesdays that are in the summer, when we have seven nowadays, um, after we get past revival, uh, then um, the interns will be taking three of those. I won't be here, uh, so we got to. We're just trying to make all of all of those things happen. So. Um, Brother Dave took us through 1 Peter last week during revival, and then we're going to today start 2 Peter and try to get ourselves, I'm going to try to do one chapter every Wednesday that I speak to you. Now, if you know anything about me, you know you're probably laughing already, I know, but uh, today I did it. I got through this morning, this first chapter. This first chapter is a little easier because we've been through the first part of this chapter several times together, so it's really a refresher course. It's a great passage of scripture. And so we're going to have a word of prayer, and we're going to just dive right into this. Father, as we study this book together, may uh, we grow in your grace. May you teach us, may you uh, build us up, strengthen us, challenge us, and uh, make us more like your Son. And we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. Uh, as we're so, let's just start at the beginning. Verse one says, "Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ." So. Right off the bat, we know what, who is Simon Peter writing to. Christians, same people, like faith, right? This is, they don't have to agree on everything, just like we don't agree on everything here. You know, That's not talking about 100% agreement, but we agree on this, that salvation comes through Christ, and uh, so he's writing to those who have like faith. So recognize that this is a book written to Christians. It's only three chapters, so it, uh, it ought to work through for the summer. In verse 2, Grace and peace be, and what's that word? Be multiplied. That's an important word. It's not just added, it's multiplied. So let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation, or maybe you might happen to be in a situation right now, where you say, I could use a lot more of God's grace in my life? Ever been in one of those situations where, you know, you, there's, Grace is where God is just bestowing upon us that which we don't deserve, right? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's, it's getting what we do not deserve. And so uh, it's, it's the way we live our Christian life, but sometimes we need excessive amounts of grace. And God's desire, God's desire is to multiply the opportunities for him to show us grace. Now, some people could interpret that as saying, well, the way we multiply grace is to multiply sin." But the Apostle Paul answered that question, remember? He said, should I sin that grace abound? What was his his answer? God forbid. Absolutely not, right? Uh, Grace comes in ways outside of having to sin. It is true that it is God's grace that forgives us our sin. I'm aware of that. But there's other opportunities for grace. What's another opportunity for God's grace? When is God being gracious to us? Say it again. Well, salvation is true, but now we're going beyond that, so we're going to multiply that grace. So when is... Say it again. When we're weak, when we, when we have weaknesses, then God, God comes along and strengthens us. We don't deserve it, but his grace comes in. Have you, ever, have you ever had excessive amounts of weakness? And, wow, I need God's grace to step in. And I don't need just for added grace, right? I don't need just a little more. I need a lot more. Let's multiply that grace, and God wants to do that. And then he goes on to say, grace and peace be multiplied. Now, I know for a fact that we've had times in our lives when we need God's peace desperately, when our peace is dwindling, when when life is coming at us full force, and it's hard to maintain that calm of spirit, right? Peace is greatly described in the Scripture when the disciples are panicking because Master, carest thou not that we perish? I mean, there's a storm here, and they're afraid the the ship's going to sink. And they're saying that to Jesus, who was where? He's asleep in the boat. That's peace, right? That's peace. So that's what we want. We want a peace that passes all understanding. Uh, he's giving us the example, showing us how. We can follow in his steps. In that instance, he is being human. I can prove it to you. He's sleeping. The God of heaven doesn't sleep. He's being human. He's sleeping. But he's sleeping with perfect peace. That's the peace that we need often, right? We need that kind of peace. Not just added to our lives. We need it multiplied. And so this verse 2 gets really important because grace and peace are multiplied through the knowledge. Now here's where we've talked about this passage before, so we'll put you to the test. Uh, so in this particular passage, there are two Greek words that are translated knowledge. They're both translated knowledge, but it's two separate Greek words. This, one of them is, give me, give me the two words, what's one of them? Gnosis. It's G-N-O-S-I-S. Gnosis. It's that concept of just, of literally knowledge. It's Adding facts, it's knowledge, uh, knowing something. Then, what's the other one? Epinosis, epinosis right? It's epinosis. It's, it's greater knowledge through experience. It's, it's understanding this knowledge in light of the experience that I've had. It's, it's that epinosis. And so, uh, I, the, the, the one I use the most to liken this is that all of us as Christians know that God answers prayer. We all know that. That's knowledge. We know it. But when God actually answers our prayer, then we know it. Do you understand how different that is? I mean, it's the distinction of having a fact. I know the fact that God answers prayer. That's fact. But when we see God step in, so last week we announced uh, that you know, the owner of the colts had purchased Miss Judy an $88,000 van so she can get her wheelchair in and around. And all of a sudden, you know, because Miss Judy, I know, some, most of you know, that she's been praying about that van for the last five years. It's expensive when she has to repair it. Many times she went for months not coming to church because she couldn't get parts and she couldn't get it repaired. And, and it's not like you can just go pick her up in your car. You understand? It doesn't work that way. So either she has the van or she doesn't go anywhere. And uh, so she literally was telling me, I had just come to the conclusion that God just wanted me to be at home because she didn't have the money to buy, you know, $80,000 is what those vans cost. And uh, so it's, by the way, it's now in Indianapolis. It's made its way to the dealer. The dealer is taking out the carpeted floor and replacing it with a special floor that allows it to be mopped and cleaned, so that all of the road stuff that she's bringing in off of her wheelchair is easier to clean, and wheelchair is easier to move maneuver once it's inside the van. So, I mean, it's just it's wonderful the things that they're doing. Right, lighted, it's got a lighted. Ramp, when it comes out, the lights come on, so if it's dark, she can see the ramp going in and out. I mean, there's a lot of bells and whistles on this van. It's really nice. That's it. So it's the difference between, oh, I know God can. I know God answers prayer. That's what I know. That's knowledge. But when we see it, it changes everything. Well, this verse, verse 2, can you guess which knowledge this is? that multiplies grace and peace to us. It's epinosis. It's epinosis. It's not just knowledge. It's knowing God intimately. It's a distinction of not just having this head knowledge that I'm aware that God can, I'm aware that God might. It is epinosis. It's this huge, uh, wonderful concept that that God has done something, and we experience God doing it, and it changes everything. And when we have that happen, then grace and peace are multiplied. For instance, I'm just going to keep using Miss Judy. She was here this morning, so she doesn't mind if I use her. But, you know, she had, she had come to a peaceful conclusion of what her situation was going to be. I guess God wants me to stay at home. You understand? She had, she had come, come to peace with it. That was fine. So she had peace. She had peace that passes understanding, perhaps. She had peace. But, wow, does she have peace now. You understand, as she has watched God say, Judy, let me show you what I can really do. And, and here it is. It's, it's incredible as God does that work. The distinction of all of that is amazing. The disciples in the boat, before and after, did they have access to the peace of God? Yes. Did they have a did they have a a certain amount of God's peace in their lives as disciples of Jesus? Yes. Did they have the same kind of peace before or during the storm as they had after the storm when they said, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey his voice? That changed everything in their perspective because the experience of watching God work. Of seeing God work, multiplied the peace. And that's what this is about. So, grace and peace are multiplied through that knowledge of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And of Jesus, our Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, and verse 3 says, according as his divine power, don't miss this, this is huge. According as his divine power hath given us what? Most things? No. Some things? No. All things. Now, here's, this is the difference. I'm going to show you the difference between this knowledge and experiential knowledge. We all know that God's Word is true. That's knowledge. We have that knowledge here. We're the Wednesday night church crowd, right? I mean, this is pretty obvious. that We, we understand, Pastor, yes, that the Word of God is true. I know that. And God's true Word says, That God has given us everything we need for this life, for life and godliness to prepare us for the next one. Everything we need is found already in the book. Do we believe that? Now this is a big important verse for people like your pastor, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Brett. For people who want to come alongside and help someone, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. If a a brother be over. So here's the point. So someone comes into my office and they say, Pastor, I've been diagnosed with schizophrenia and manic depression. Does God's word give that person everything they need for life and godliness? Now all of a sudden we're like, I think. <laughs> I mean, I know it. Just a minute ago, I was like, I, you are agreeing with me. Yeah, Pastor, I know that. Sure, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Everything I need. Everything I need right there. Everything I need. Everything anybody needs for life and godliness is right there in that book. Do we believe it? Now the challenge is to Find it out, right? I mean, we're supposed to be ready to give an answer to every man of the hope that lies within us. And so, you know, the challenge for, for biblical counselors is when someone comes to us and says, Pastor, I've got this problem, we're not supposed to say, Well, good luck. See you later. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here? I mean, do we have anything to offer that person? Do we have anything to offer this, this kid who's grown up in an abusive home Physically, sexually, etc., psychologically, and, and here they are and now they're twenty-two years old and their life seems to be crumbling around. Does God give that person everything he needs or not? He does. He does. Now, you know when it'll make a difference? Is when we see God step into somebody's life and we see, you know, ourselves or somebody else help them to see the truth that they can find. And all of a sudden, that life begins to be turned around. And now our perspective changes. It's no longer just knowledge. Now it's knowledge through experience. We've seen God do something. Uh, in in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, faith is defined. Anybody remember what it says? Now faith is the, what's that word again? Wait, wait, don't, don't bypass, don't go too fast. Faith is the what? Substance. Of things hoped for the what? Evidence. evidence of things not seen. So listen up now. We, we walk by faith and not by sight. But faith is described in terms of sight. It's the substance and the evidence. But now God goes on in that same definition, the substance of things hoped for. not that we've gotten, hoped for, expected. And the evidence of things not seen. So here's the difference. I know that God's word works. That's head knowledge. I know it. But now I see a promise. There's the promise of God. There's what God says. God's word says. I am going to... Here's how faith works. I'm going to step out. Not having seen this yet, it's hoped for. It's not seen, but I'm going to step out as if there is substance and evidence and trust God to do what he promised. Now, it's not a a leap in the dark. That is not faith. Faith is not jumping off the cliff and hoping for the best. That's folly. That's stupid. And that'll get you hurt every time. But faith is finding a principle, a promise of God's word. And while it may not make sense, And while we may not see how it can possibly work, we're going to act as if the evidence and the substance is right there. And I'm going to trust God for it. Because I've learned through experience that God actually does keep his word. And as I take those baby steps that way, Before long, those baby steps are becoming into real steps, and those real steps are becoming into wonderful, glorious leaps of faith. Watching God do what he promises, but I've not yet seen. But I've got a promise. And I only get to that point through experience. If all I ever do is collect knowledge, it's a hollow, shallow, empty faith. But if I can... Experience God answering prayer, and experience God keeping His promises, and experiencing God—God God giving me peace and multiplying my grace. If I can, if I can experience that, then my ability to take further steps of faith become greater and greater and greater. See how this works? It's real simple. It's, I'm taking way too much time. Gotta hurry. And this is the part I said if we've already gone over and I don't have to do this. Uh, according as the divine power has given us all things that pertain in life and godliness through the knowledge, that's that epinosis of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises. Uh, if we had time, we'd stop and list some promises. Anybody know how many promises are in the Bible? They're a little over a thousand. I think it's a thousand and seven if somebody went through and counted. But. Um, Not all of them belong to me. Not all of them belong to you. Some of them belong to Israel, right? Some of them belong to specific people. But there are promises in the Bible. The majority of those, I'm going to tell you, though, honestly, are pretty blanketed. They belong to us as human beings. Uh, You know, some of those promises are real simple, right? See a rainbow in the sky, we're reminded all the time. God's made a promise. And And by the way, every time you see a rainbow, you ought to be recognizing that, oh, I just experienced... I just experienced God's faith, His promise, right? I've, I've just now, I'm reminded that God keeps His promise. And I'm, I'm, that experience going to give me more confidence to take another step, to take another step, to take another step. That's what God's doing, right? And so on purpose, He's doing that. Hey, he shows us a rainbow to remind us, to remind us. You know, the sun comes up every morning to remind us that God's in charge, right? That God, God hasn't... You know, the world out there is out of control, but you know what's going to happen tomorrow morning? The sun's going to come up. You know, why? Because God's on the throne. And that's important. And so those, those bits of, small bits of knowledge help us to grow so that we can take those steps of faith. All right, so, given the seeing great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruptions in the world through lust. sum this up, it's basically saying that by these great and precious promises, you can grow in the Lord and get rid of sin, Right? Put on, put off. That principle in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, so there it is. Uh, go on to verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, important to point this out. Who is responsible for verse 5? Say it up me. I am, right? The Christian. I have to give all diligence. Not by the way, I can your pastor can't do this for you, your parents can't do this for you. Your grandma can't do it for you, and God won't do it for you. He's put the responsibility on us. You, give all diligence, add to your faith. That's our responsibility, to grow in the faith. Add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. Anybody care to venture a guess on what knowledge is spoken of there? This is the gnosis knowledge. He literally is saying, if you just learn facts, eventually they'll turn into experience. But if you never learn the facts, you can never get to the experience. You understand? You've got to know the facts first. So add to your faith. So now I know that Jesus saves, what else can I find out about Jesus? And we just keep on going. So we add to our faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. And then he goes on to say some incredible things. For if these things be in you, these things being that list that we just talked about, adding to our faith, if these things be in you and abound, we're not adding them just one time. Oh, I added that seven years ago. I don't need that anymore. It's not that way, right? It's a continual adding. It's kind of like, um, you know, it's kind of like every time you sit down to eat, you, you, you didn't say, well, I salted my food once back in 1973, so I don't use salt anymore. We don't say that, right? Uh, we, it's a continuing. We just continue to add to our faith, and that's the same concept. But if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall need to be barren, nor unfruitful in the now. What word do you think that knowledge is, Pastor? How do I get to how do I get to epinosis? How do I get to experiencing God? Add to your faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brother, kindness. Because if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be bare nor unfruitful in the knowledge, the epinosis of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm growing in faith. Now God is preparing me to be able to take the big steps of faith. So far, I've been able to see baby steps. Maybe. Maybe not. There's a problem here that's a maybe not. Gotta hurry, gotta keep going. Take a look at the verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. But if, but he, that I'm sorry, but he that lacketh these things. Now, who, what are these things? We're still, lo- we're still looking at that list. If these things abound in you, you grow. But he that lacketh these things, same these things. So, it's, Virtue, which is excellence, right? It's striving to be excellent. It's striving to be best, not good and better. So act virtue, virtue knowledge, temperance, patience, all those things. So if, if they abound, you're growing. But he that lacketh these things. Now, who is he talking to? He's still talking to Christians. We haven't changed audiences here. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath It does not say here, Note, it does not say he was never saved. You know what it says? He's forgotten he was saved. has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. The great picture of this in the scripture would be the prodigal son. You know, who one day woke up and said, whoa, what am I doing? Uh, He'd forgotten how good life was. He'd forgotten about what it was like to be in the father's house and to be cared for by the father and all that he had forgotten, and all of a sudden one day he wakes up and is like, this is nuts, You know, I need to go home. Praise the Lord, we have a way home. That is an important part. But this is a Christian who fails to grow, and ultimately that failure to grow causes, there's, there's no static in the Christian life, right? We can't stay static. We don't stay the same. It's a nice thought, but we don't stay the same. We are either growing or we're regressing. Now we might have moments or you know, moments, of level short times in our lives of plateau, right? I understand that. We grow, we level, we grow, we level. But we're not gonna stay static. If if you think you're the if you're the same as you were 20 years ago as a Christian, you're only fooling yourself. You're not. You think you're the same, but you've really gone this way. Talk to your family, they'll tell you. They'll tell you. There's no static in the Christian life. You're either growing or you're regressing. And so We've got to be growing, and we don't want to get to this point here in verse 9. But look at verse 10. It's great. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, adding to our faith, if we do these things, we'll never fall. I mean, we'll never get to, the, to verse 9 if we simply work ourselves through verse 5, 6, 7, where we're adding to our faith. If we add to our faith, verse 9 never becomes ours. We'll never fall, we'll never get to that point. But if we fail to add to our faith, in fact, we'll get to verse 9 or verse 8 where it says we'll abound, right, if we add to our faith. But anyway, so that's the part that we've already done. (laughs) I need to get you to the part we haven't, and I'm already running out of time. So go to verse uh, 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance. Okay, so this is important. Uh, So we have a bunch of of, uh, new graduates with us. Thank you for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. And I'm going to say, and some of them, most of them went to Christians, not most of them, many of them went to Christian schools, and all of them were raised in Christian homes. And So here's the point. There's virtually nothing I'm telling you that you haven't heard before. There, that's just the reality at this point in this book. There's not, in fact, that's what, that's what Peter is about to say. He says in verse 12, I would not be negligent to put you always in, what's the word? Remembrance, to remind you, just to remind you. Uh, you know the the idea of reminding us that you know that we have a God who wants to multiply our grace and peace. That we have a God who has given us exceeding great and precious promises. That we have a God who has empowered us to add to our faith, virtue, virtue, temperance, time, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brother kindness. He, he we have a God, and we have a God that will cause these things to abound in us, and cause it so that we won't fall backwards. Well, that's what we want, right? We want for our kids to just keep on going in that nice trajectory that we've hopefully set them on of growing in God's grace, rather than that, having that proverbial moment where they fall off the cliff and have to climb their way back out, of the, back out of the hole that they've made for themselves. We don't want that. We want, so it's just a reminder. It's just like, let's just remind you of what you already know. And uh, so this is Peter. Um, Though you know them, he says, and be established in the present truth. You, 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 we know them. What we want to do is bring them into the way we're living, the present truth, for the here and now. Yea, I think it meet, verse 13, as, and this, I have to be honest with you, in studying for this, this section of this passage has taken on a new meaning for me. I've never thought of myself in this light, but now I'm 62 years old, and I'm watching my body growing old, and I'm watching, you know, people that I've known... For years, reach eternity, reach glory. You know, I'm watching it and it changes your perspective. So I kind of understand where Peter's coming from. Look at what it says. He says, As long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Now listen, God hasn't shown me anything. I know that Peter's unique here in a Remember, Jesus literally told him what was going to happen to him, and Peter knows what's coming. And there's a uniqueness about Peter's knowledge. I am not sitting, I'm, I don't want you to misinterpret anything that I'm saying. Is, is pastor dying? Yes, I'm dying in the fact that I'm getting older like everybody else. You're dying too, teenager, you're all dying. Everybody's going closer to death, right? You only have two choices, live or die, right? And as long as we live, we're going closer to death. That's where we're headed. It's the point that a man wants to die. So am I dying? Yes. But I don't have, as far as I know, I don't have cancer, I don't have, uh, one day, this is, uh, I was such a horrible youth pastor, I really was, so I was 17 years old, I was a youth pastor when I was 17, that's the first problem, and I stood up in front of my youth group, I had about 45 kids sitting out in front of me, and I wept real tears, I made myself cry while I told them that I was dying of cancer. (laughs) I had this whole youth group just bawling, and then I just burst into laughter because it was just so funny. It's not funny. I know it was a horrible thing to do. It was awful. But I'm not doing that, all right? I want you to understand. I just understand where Peter's coming from. I know, like I've never known as I'm preaching through this passage, that I really am Peter. And I know that my time is short, you know, at best. I'm 62. My time is short. And so I understand where Peter's coming from, knowing that I'm shortly put off this tabernacle, even as the Lord has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after I die, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Peter says, what my goal is, is to get these things so embedded in your mind that when I'm gone, you're still remembering. And that really is the goal of this pastor. There's certain passages of Scripture that just are key to everything of a Christian walk. And this chapter 1 of Second Peter is one of those. It, it opens up the door to never falling in our Christian walk. It opens up the door to abounding in the hope that, that God gives us. And if, so if, if there's anything we could do, it's like, I, wanna, I want you to remember these things. That's what Peter's saying. I just want you to remember these things. Verse 16. For we have not followed commonly devised fables. And it, it is interesting here. I want you, this, is, this is really where this whole message goes to. Especially you young people over here. Listen up. This is not... We have a tendency, if we're not careful, to view our parents' and our grandparents' faith through an eye of skepticism. Is it real? Is it a fable? Is it just something cunningly devised? Has somebody just made it up? And I'm going to tell you something, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, this is important. Do you know what they're looking for? They're looking for a faith that is experience-bound. They don't care what you know. They want to see what you know. They want the evidence and the substance of things hoped for and things not seen. And they're not, you know, we, we got into, in the 70s especially, we got, you know, our Christian school movement started up and we got into a lot of knowledge. And knowledge is important, but knowledge without the added experience with God does what in the Scripture? Knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge just makes us proud, and it doesn't accomplish much. And we presented, or or we created people who knew, who knew the Bible. They could stand up and and quote verses, and they could do, you know, we'd sent them to Christian schools, we'd sent them to Iwana, and we'd sent them, they knew all, they had great knowledge then they graduated from high school and left and have never come back since. And we're like, what happened to them? Because it's knowledge without any. And now this, so we're two generations removed from that now. And here we are in 2020s, and this generation is looking to us and saying, I don't care about your hollow, empty platitudes of faith. I want to see something that's vibrant and real. I want to see a God that's actually doing a work. And unless we are, guys and gals, unless we're stepping out and experiencing this God of ours, we're presenting a hollow Christianity to the next generation. And that, and, and Peter's like, we don't have cunningly devised fables here. We're not Channel 40 preachers. We're not in this for the money. We're not in this for the glory. We're in this because it's real. It's genuine. This is, this is the way we live. You know, the problem is we drag our kids to church and then we cuss them out on the way home. And our kids see that. And and our faith means nothing to them. A faith that doesn't change a life isn't faith. And And so they're walking away thinking, why bother? If this is what God is, I don't want it. And I don't blame them, folks. Who would blame them? And Peter's like, this isn't us. We're not about the coming of devised fables. We're not, we're not following after those things. We have made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and we're eyewitnesses of his majesty. When Jesus came to this earth, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, these were powerful things. And, and, and they were life-changing things. And Peter says, this is what we're making known. We're not, this isn't just another story. You do realize that there were as many religions, maybe more, in the de- time of the apostles than there are now, than, than, like there are now, right? I mean, I, I'm aware that there's a thousand choices for our kids out there in, in the way of religion. Unfortunately for the world, there's not a thousand choices. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if we don't show forth a faith that is worth following we're going to find a generation of our kids going elsewhere rather than following following our faith and so peter's trying to get this across right we're not we're not about the cunningly devised fables here this isn't a story this is the, these are truths um so this morning I was bringing up I'll give you an example of the cunningly devised fable concept and because this is where it gets a little unnerving to me we Wednesday night crowd, we know the Bible is true, right? We know the Bible is true. You know the Bible is true, right? Amen? So the, Bible, so, the, so the earth is how old? Six, seven thousand years. Oh, well, I think the Bible might be true. Wait a minute. Do we believe it or not? Can I point something out to you? Roughly 150 years ago, 200 years ago, man came up with this idea about evolution. And you know that they have no more proof today about evolution than they than they were trying to prove back then. It's still still to this day in the science books listed correctly a theory of evolution. You know why? Because it's it's a theory. There's nothing there's not pastor there's all kinds of science. Listen to the scientists. Listen to the scientists. No, no. No, no. I'm going to listen to the book. I'm going to listen to the book. Because this isn't a commonly devised fable. It's not. Somebody didn't just make this up. Do I believe it or not? And that's just one little example. So I'm, I'm, you know, so I'm just throwing out there, you know, so when somebody comes and says, you know, I've got schizophrenia, it's like, oh, well, I guess we better go someplace else because God's going to be able to help that person. Yes! All things that pertain to life and godliness. Yes! Right here. It's there. I'm not saying it's easy to find. I'm saying we have to study to show ourselves approved unto God. We have to do the work. But it's there. Do we believe it or not? Or was God just making up a line because it sounded good in 2 Peter chapter 1? All things that pertain to life and godliness Is God making it up or is God God? And when what's happened is we say, yes, yes, amen, preacher, amen, preacher. And then when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, we start backing up a little bit okay, give or take a few thousand years, Pastor, I don't know. Um, you know, we start backing up a little bit, and our kids are watching us. And they're like, if that's all that there is to your faith, who needs it? I can get that someplace else. We have got to know this God of ours by experience. And, but when I see God keep this promise, and I see God keep this promise... And I trust God to keep this promise, and I step out, even though it doesn't make sense, but I, I know the promise is there, and I'm going to step out as if I've already seen it, evidence and substance. I'm going to step out, and God keeps it, and my faith is growing. All of a sudden, when God says the earth is six to 10,000 years old, I say, amen. Amen. You see how this works? Because now I'm becoming more confident in God than in myself and in everybody else. I'm going to trust God, and it's a challenge. I'm not saying that the Christian life's easy, but it's worth it. That's what I am saying. So anyway, uh, we have, he says, a sure word of prophecy in verse 19. Wherefore unto or whereunto ye do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star, which in this particular case isn't necessarily referring to Jesus Christ. He's called the day star, but the day star rise in your hearts. It's really the that the Spirit of God is doing that work in your hearts. Knowing this, verse 29, I asked this question this morning, and I'm going to be honest, no one got it. Let's see if you can figure this out. So we have, somebody did get it. I'm sorry, Miss Amy got this. Miss Amy, you, I'll give you your credit. You got that. So uh, we have Baptist distinctives. We're Baptists not because the Bible says only Baptists, right? We're not Baptist writers, but we, we believe that the Baptist principles are taught in the Scripture. We're biblicists, is what we are. We're not, we're not Baptists first. We're Bible believers first. You all understand that, right? But Baptist thinkers, or B-A-P-T-I-S-T-S, the Baptist thinkers, if you can remember them, here in verse 20 is one of those that's really important. Listen to what it says. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now think through the Baptist thinkers, and somebody tell me which one that's important to, and Mr. Bryan gets a Red button. Listen to that. Priest of the believer, I want you to catch this. You don't have to come to church to find out what God says. Now, you should come to church because God says. Do you understand? But I want you to hear it from me. It's not like your pastor has an in with God that you don't get to have a part of. That's not true. There's no private interpretation here. It's not like God told me something that he's not telling you. That's, that's not the reality of it. The reality is you can go straight to the throne of God and there find grace to help in time of need. You don't have to come through me. And, and so it's a, it's a huge principle. Uh, back, I got saved in the 70s. When I got saved in the 70s, I'm just going to tell you, in our Baptist world, preachers had kind of overstepped this bound. And we took upon ourselves as if we had private interpretation as if somehow we and we alone knew what was best for the congregation and it was a challenge it was a problem when when preachers do that it's a problem we don't have that kind of a god the same holy spirit that lives in me lives in you and the same book of word of god that i read is available to you and and we you know the reality is we sharpen each other as we come together, iron sharpening iron. Now God is gracious and gives us teachers to help us understand. And but but the reality is this isn't because God has given some kind of special knowledge to any one of those teachers. It's just that, you know, there's people who, you know, have given themselves to the learning and and then being willing to help others in learning and understanding. And God uses that. The Scripture is not of any private interpretation. So the encouragement is go read the Bible. Go read it. Find out what God has to say. Find one of those promises and have the courage to step on it and see what happens. Because we have a God who keeps his promises. And when you see him keep his promise, you're going to say, Wow, now I can have more peace and experience more grace. And I can get to the place, as I keep doing this, where I'm not going to turn away from God. I'm not going to fall back. I, I'm, I'm growing in God's grace. It's a wonderful passage. I've got to stop. Let's keep going. We'll finish up this chapter and be done. For the prophecy came not in old time of the will of men, but holy men of God spake, important part, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's The word of God, not the word of men. It's not about the holy men. It's about the Holy Ghost. It's about God's word. Great book. I hope you're going to enjoy it as we finish up the next couple of chapters. But uh, there's a bunch in that first verse, that first chapter, right? So we're going to uh, divide up into two prayer groups. I would ask you to pray for a couple of things. Vacation Bible School is upon us. We got past the revival. Uh, The way summers work right now, it's like we have a big event and skip a week, big event, skip a week. Then we go to camp after so we have Vacation Bible School, skip a week, then we go to camp. It's just summer. We only have seven weeks of summer now. So it's, thank you, school system. And I would blame the public schools, but the Christian schools are right there with them. Thank you, school system, who thinks that summer programs aren't important, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, that's, I'll quit complaining. Uh, but, uh, so pray for Vacation Bible School. I would ask you to pray for me tomorrow. I'm leaving tomorrow morning to go to New Hampshire to do Logan Snoddy's wedding. So dad's Getting out, he's out of hospital right now. They sent him to rehab today, uh, six o'clock. So he should be there and settled in by now. Melody's with him, so God's answering those prayers. This is a big deal, right? I mean, I'm trying to tell Logan, yes, I'm going to be there for your wedding, but my father-in-law, you know, what do you do? <laughs> it's like okay, but anyway. Uh, so pray that I'll have traveling mercies and that kind of stuff, and all my flights work. Otherwise, you know, I mean. Andrew's already going to preach Sunday morning. I've already, you know, got that. But I just want to be here, you know. I want to be here. So just pray that I can get back on Saturday night and help Melody out and those kinds of things. Pray for that. Um, And then pray for TNT started last night. We didn't have any any souls that made professions, but we had at least three teenagers that we don't know about. So uh, pray for, uh, I'm not going to name names since we're online now, but if you would just pray for those three young men. Uh, God knows who they are and we're gonna pray that they'll come back and they can hear the gospel and come to know Christ. So, uh, And then you can share your prayer requests with each other as you pray and you've got about four minutes and, and we're going to be done. You got a prayer request you'd like to share with everyone? Total knee replacement on Wednesday. Replacement on Wednesday. Is that a problem? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so a week from today, <laughs> complete. Uh, yeah, so pray for uh, Miss Brenda. Doc is uh, still recovering from his, and he's not here. You see, so that tells you a little bit about how it is, because he's not a quitter, and so (laughs) so it's it's a challenge. Bill's here; he's like everybody's model. You know, so be like Bill. That's all I can say: be like Bill. (laughs) Anybody else? All right. So divide up into prayer groups, and uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Jesus mom passed away last week and uh, she was she in in Mexico or was she in the states uh, they took, her body to took her body to Mexico okay so Okay so pray for Jesus and the family as they're dealing with that so I did not know that sorry and Dave uh, the um, you guys don't see Dave very much but we kind of love to call him Big Dave he comes on Wednesday mornings this is the Trump's son-in-law he's six foot seven, six foot eight, something like that, and he's a big guy. Uh, His dad passed away this week, too, so uh, pray for them. All right, divide up into prayer groups and uh, you can dismiss yourselves.